Log Talk Radio. Happy Wednesday night, everybody. Let's get you back in the chair again. A lot of Roy Tull interviews. I'll give you our, our host again from Tampa, Mr. Roy Cummings, from the Jersey Surf slash Sarasota, Mr. Don Henderson. And Chris, the man up and set off here, 
Roger Henry, of course, most important part of this team is Mr. Frank Carroll. Gentlemen, good evening. I'll, I'll lead off with this one comment. Let's go, Lightning. This feels like oh, t- 2015, game game number three. Lightning won game number three then, and they, then they fell to hey, Chicago. Tommy, before we get into the meat of the show, uh, we got a sure. uh, new thing from the Eagles front office this morning for uh, the new anthem they're going to play. You... Oh, boy. Frank, I love the sound of it, but I think they only have one wing right now. That was a great, great start, and I like the fly goes fly. Frank, I was singing that song again, like the, like the glory days of Andy Reid, and, and the not so glory days of Joe Kuharik. But oh God, Roger, Roger, what's the weather in Philadelphia doing next week? Well, the Eagles are off to a very tough start, Tommy, and uh, we already <laughs> got twenty minutes. We got only have twenty minutes to go to see the hockey game, which is a lot more important right now than uh, baseball, football. Uh, uh, yeah. The NBA, of course, is in the same situation. The Celtics are uh, with the Heat. That's uh, that's down to the wire too. So basketball exactly. and hockey are sort of going to take over for baseball and tonight. Yeah, oh boy, that especially was the perfect um, music for the Eagles, Frank. <laughs> oh boy, well, down here's a different story. Well, you could tell us about the Buccaneers' success for us, please. Well, they won a game. That's, uh, you know, they've got one, so that's good. Unlike the Eagles, that's that's quite a successful season uh, compared to the Eagles. And, uh, yeah, uh, you know, uh, I don't know about past this year, but right now the Bucks have their quarterback situation figured out. Uh, Eagles right. don't seem to have that one quite uh, quite down just yet. Uh, I think they thought they had it, but uh, they have some issues there. But, no, the Bucks uh, they came back. Uh, a good answer for them off a bad game against uh, New Orleans, played poorly, deserved to lose. Um, you know, basically took advantage of some mistakes early on by uh, uh, in, in, their, in their second game by, by Cal, uh, Carolina and, and, and won early. And uh, the game really should have been over. I mean, I, I, I tweeted out at 14 to nothing that it was all but over. And it should have been. Yes. It basically was. But uh, Tampa did let uh, – still let Carolina back in it with some mistakes of their own. So, look, we're seeing some sloppy football here and there. Um, just about everybody's had, you know, some issues of some kind. A lot of things are ironed out in uh, preseason, and they haven't had a preseason, so you can kind of expect this. Um, you know, what's going on in uh, Philadelphia? Is it uh, is it fixable? Yeah. Is it fixable in time? Well, thankfully they're in a no. – uh, in a pretty weak division, so we'll see what happens with them. But yeah, the Bucks uh, one and one out to uh, Denver this weekend, and we'll see what they do there. Uh, not an easy, you know. You don't know what, what to make of any team just yet, really. So uh, it's hard to say that. Uh, you know, I think the Bucks might be favored a little bit, but I wouldn't favor them by a bunch. Roy, I thought uh-huh. I talked to Roger earlier this week too, and I, I thought when I saw the Super Bowl a few years ago, I saw the dumbest combination to lose a game I'd ever seen in my life. But I have to say that this Sunday surpassed the worst thing I've ever seen in my life <laughs> by far. 
And, and, and what are you referring to? I, the Falcons. You, oh, you didn't see you didn't see the Falcons. And, they didn't see the Falcons on the. <laughs> I mean, they had Dallas beating they ways to Sunday, and they don't know how to, they don't know what to do with an onside kick at the start at the. Uh, <laughs> That's I mean, That's I'm, I, unbelievable! You got twenty oh, twenty two guys on the field. Everybody stand there, and watch the ball bounce around. I mean, it's unbelievable, <laughs> Roger. You go ahead, Roger. Yeah, Roy. Roy, I got to tell you, I was talking to a good friend of ours, D. Orlando Ledbetter, and uh, to find out what the heck is going on in Falcon Country. Uh, he may, he may uh, be be on with us for a couple of minutes because he's going to be uh, tied up later. And I, um, you know, of course you're on, and I know you know him very well. But, uh, you know, you hear a lot. I've, I've heard several different uh, examples uh, or explanations, I should say, on why that happened. But none of them uh, pay, uh, you know, uh, uh, n- none of them please me or I agree with. Let's put it that way. I mean, that was sheer stupidity. Yeah, like I said, you know what, what's happening? We're, we're seeing it all over the league. Is, is is people teams are making mistakes that you just wouldn't expect them to make. You know, even a week into this, you know, even even in the first two weeks of the season, because again, they would normally have, uh, you know, a scrimmage maybe against an, another opponent or exhibition games to have an opportunity to really get this stuff out of the way. But you know, this is a case where it didn't happen, and I, I did see the the highlight of that place, and I I know what you're talking about now. But yeah, it's just. Um, I'll tell, I'll tell you, the Falcons, they have mastered the ability of blowing a big lead. Right. <laughs> I mean, you know, they did it in the Super Bowl. Uh, they, they obviously did it last week. Uh, they they have mastered the art of uh, blowing a big lead. But, again, it's it's early, um, plenty of time to right the ship. Uh, nobody has taken control of the NFC South, much like no one can take control of the NFC East. Um, at one and one, uh, even at zero and two, you're, you're still in this, uh, still in the race. So, plenty of football to be played. Um, a lot of time to correct the mistakes and uh, and fix things going forward. Well, Frank sent through an outstanding email, and Frank, maybe you were to define what rule number one is when you start little league football. Give, give us an idea of what rule number one is. Don, I have coached. I have coached B league. I've coached. Uh, CYO, I've coached high school, and I've coached college football over the last 40 years. And I can tell you, the first thing we ever tell a kid that walks on the, the greenest kid that walks on the field uh, at six years old, after you, after you get him all set up with his pads and everything, is you take him out and you put him on the field and you say, now look, if the ball comes this way, you don't have to wait for it to go 10 yards. You go right <laughs> to the ball and fall on it. You don't have to move the ball right. forward, just fall on the ball. <laughs> That's it. As simple as all that. Yep. It, it really, you know, guys, it is a simple game. I can't tell you how many times I've been told over the course of covering the NFL over 20-plus years that this is not rocket science. And you know what? Every one of those guys who said that was absolutely right. It's not rocket science. It's as simple a game as there is, truly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like see ball, get ball, hit, you know, hit the guy with the ball, it's blocking and tackling and securing the football. And, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's oblong and it bounces funny. But at the end of the day, uh, you should be able to do that basic, uh, that basic task in this game. I, I'm, I'm guessing, and, and, and Daryl could probably fill, 
fill us in on this because I'm sure he, I know he's asked the question, but uh, whether he got an answer or not, it's a whole different story. But uh, I know he's right. asked a question. My guess is that you've got your hands team out there in that situation. Frank, you know what that is. Right. Everybody knows. That's the, the, the guys with the best hands are out there to make sure they cover that right. ball. And right. my guess is there was confusion as to who's supposed to cover it, although why there's confusion, <laughs> I don't know. So uh, well, they just stood there. They the just stood there and watched the ball. Okay. I mean, Roy, I never. I mean, unbelievable. They never moved. They just stood and watched the wall. It spins around, spins hey, around. Hey, hey, goes Don, five Don yards. And, goes and, eight yards. And listen, we're, we've got Daryl on with us. The Orlando Ledbetter. He's going to give us the whole scoop about that. Daryl, how you doing, buddy? Hey, I'm doing pretty good, Roger. Roy, how are you guys doing tonight? Doing good, Daryl. Good great. to hear you, my man. That's right. Like the age of Atlanta Falcons football right here. Oh. <laughs> oh, well, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, that was a bizarre play. I, I called it the head watch team. <laughs> <laughs> Daryl, I just said that I know you've asked the question of the coaching staff. Whether you got an answer is a whole different story, but – what what was the answer if you got one from anybody about what in the world happened on that play? They they started the coach started talking about it was a high bouncer and uh, they called a timeout and they were gonna uh you know get ready for the high bouncer and then uh, when they saw the slow roller they didn't know what to do so they just watched the ball <laughs> like it was a, a onside kick. <laughs> they clearly had where they could touch it. Because they're at the ball at the six-yard line, and I'm screaming, fall, fall, fall. Uh, you know, <laughs> we didn't go hey, You know, Daryl, we're, we're used to seeing that kind of stuff in Tampa Bay, all right? I mean, the Bucks, you know, they they wrote the book <laughs> on way on different ways to lose. I'm not used to seeing that out of the Atlanta Falcons, although I did just say they, they, have, they, they seem to have perfected the art of blowing big leads uh, going back to the Super Bowl a couple of years back. Am I wrong about that? Oh, no, you're absolutely correct, Roy. Uh, under Coach Mike Smith, I wrote about it today. I, didn't, I couldn't go do the numbers because we're writing live. But they regularly ran out games with Obi Mahaley and Mike Turner. Uh, you yeah, know, right. Big, and, uh, you know, now they got all these – everybody wants 11 personnel and these little Smurf backs. Uh, when it came time to run out the clock, they uh, they started out okay. Then on the third play, Gurley got stuffed on first down. They panicked, uh, thought they had to pass, and got sacked. Now it's third and 18. So, uh, oh. you know, run, run the ball, run the ball. You got to be able to run it when people know you're running it and keep that clock moving. And they couldn't do it. And uh, that was just one of the uh, uh, things that led to this late pass. You know, Joe, you're right. We were just saying, uh, and you may have heard it uh, before you came on, but but we're just saying, Frank and I were saying, the game is simple. I mean, you you've heard it a million times. I've heard it. It's not rocket science, all right. The game is not rocket science, and it's true. (laughs) It's really pretty simple. And one of the simple uh, tenets of the game is when you've got a lead, you just run the ball, okay? You know, even third and eight, okay? Just run the ball, all right? Just run the ball and punt. Don't don't take a sack. Don't 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 take don't do something stupid. Put yourself in a good position. Let your punter kick the ball down there and then go play some defense. You know it's it's not hard. Right. <laughs> They're overthinking football these days and trying to come up with all this analytics and 
going forward on fourth down and not playing field position. And, I mean, you know, yeah, they're making it real hard. Uh, you know, I think it's for TV or something. They're trying to reinvent the wheel, and uh, it's not working. <laughs> You're right about <laughs> that, Darrell. <laughs> A terrible football game. <laughs>
you know, maybe they, you know, if the defense could slow them down, they won that one and uh, went and played Baltimore that year. So uh, it's been, uh, you know, as far as Falcons history goes, it's been the um, kind of the uh, golden era uh, with Matt Ryan here and, you know, got the new stadium built, uh, got moved on from the Michael Vick Trevors. But right now it's not feeling like a real happy place uh, after this. Daryl, not a lot. Not a lot expected of this team, I don't think, to begin with anyway, at least outside of Atlanta. Uh, I think a lot of people thought probably an 8-8 eight and eight team, maybe at best. Uh, first of all, I'd like your take on that. And number two, uh, how hot is the coach's, hot, is, is, is the coach's seat um, at an 0-2 start? Yeah, 8-8 eight and eight looked about right, 7-9. and nine. Vegas got them at 7.5 on the over and under. Uh, just because, you know, you had so much um, – Turnover on defense, and you were kind of relying on a couple, so many young guys to come and play for you. And, of course, that's looking pretty uh, pretty uh, weak right now early. So that was about right. But, you know, you figured, hey, if they can get in there, um, you know, do a good job, and, and, you know, you got the big, you got the quarterback, then, uh, you know, you're going to have a shot in the NFC, in the NFC South. So uh, as far as the hot seat, uh, you know, it's pretty hot. It's very hot, Roy. Uh, right now, uh, the owner came out and said, hey, the players look like they didn't know what they were supposed to do. And, and <laughs> they didn't know what they were supposed to do from film to him. Whereas the coaches said, oh, they knew what to do. They just didn't do it. <laughs> but, uh, so the owner, uh, I'm, I'm gonna, the owner who's paying the bills is like, hey, they don't know what to do. So, uh, that can't that can't vote well for the coach who uh, blew uh, you know the biggest Super Bowl lead in the history, and uh, they're still up to the same uh, antics and so forth. Mm-hmm. That place should be on NFL films forever and ever and ever. <laughs> Probably will be, Tommy. It's, it's crazy. How can these guys, uh, hey, Daryl? Like a question for you: Are these guys still yeah. with the team or working at Walmart somewhere in, in Atlanta? Who's going to sell the team? No, those guys were on the field that messed up the play. Are they still with the team or they're working at Walmart or a department store like that? (laughs) They're still with the team, but one of those guys is Julio Jones, so you can really get rid of him. (laughs) Can't get rid of Julio. That's right. (laughs) That's right. Uh, KS, backup wide receiver, Jaden Graham. Uh, yeah, I got the whole list somewhere, but th- those are some of the key players. <laughs> On the second line, he could have jumped up and got it himself. Another question. Hey, Don, you know, we know your opinion. What, what do you, tell Daryl what you think. Did we lose Don? I'm sorry, Roger. I didn't hear what you said. I said uh, – <laughs> Uh, tell tell Daryl what uh, when you called me after that game and tell him what you said. Well, you know, to me, uh, there's two things about the National Football League or football, whether it's college, high school, whatever it is. Games mean more. One games mean more than they do in any other sport. You can play 162 games. If you throw one away, you can make up for it. And Roy said at the beginning, well, they went 0-2, so they can make up for it. No, they can't make up for it. You can't make up for it. They're 0-2. And they're not and they're not that good a team. They're not gonna come in and all of a sudden become a great team and make up for it. To me, their season is almost over because of stupidity. 
<laughs> well, the, yeah, I don't right. know about that, Don. I, uh, the point I was making is they've got time. To, they're not out of the race at zero and two. The leader in the division is one and one. So you're, you're not. It's not like you're you're out of the race. If the leader in the race, you know, if the race uh, if it was two and zero, somebody's going to win that division. So you've got, you know, you still got uh, fifteen games. Don't forget, we got seventeen have, on the schedule now. Roy, you Roy, I hope you're right. Back. I hope you're. I hope you're right. But I can't no, I see when you lose two games, it. especially when you lose a game like that. I don't see how in the world you're ever going to be good enough to make it to the playoffs. I, that's my feeling. We'll see what happens as the season unfolds. Because they uh, they won a game I thought they shouldn't have won the first week, and they lost a game that was they should have won easily last week. So instead of being two and zero, oh, they're one and one, and you're not going to make up for that loss. I'm telling you, you don't make up for those losses. That's right. Hey guys, hang on for a second, Roy. We got a great guest on for you. I'd like to welcome a good friend of mine, the best hockey announcer in the NHL, Mr. Rick Peckham. Rick, good evening, and how's the how's the golf game going? Just want, just want to thank Daryl for being with us, oh. and uh, we'll talk to you, uh, Daryl. You have a great yes. evening. All thank right, you, Daryl. Thanks thank an awful and good lot. luck, and good luck this, good luck with the team this week. Now it's a great honor to have on you. Are you still with us? A good friend, I of am, yours, good I friend am of mine. And the best hockey announcer in the whole wide world, Mr. Rick Peck. And Rick, you're talking to Roy Cummings, myself, Don Henderson, Roger Henry, Frank Carroll. Welcome aboard, sir. Well, it's great to be back with you guys. Thanks for having me on. I uh, hope all is well there. And uh, we got a little scoop as the players are on the ice for the warm-up for game three of the finals. Steven Stamkos looks like he's going to be in the lineup. So that's uh, oh great news for the Lightning fans and your listening audience. That's going to make for one heck of a game tonight, guys. Uh, That power play is all of a sudden uh, going to get ratcheted up another notch or two with uh, Stamkos out there. Hey, if all Stamkos can do is stand over there on that left faceoff dot and Mm -hmm. rip the one-timer, it could still be worth two or three power play goals for the Lightning tonight. So uh, this Mm -hmm. is a big, big boost for these guys. And, uh, Rick, uh, hopefully – I'm not sure everybody knows, but um, uh, congratulations, first of all, on your retirement. And or maybe I should say first of all on uh, your entry into the Hall of Fame, uh, upcoming yes. as the uh, Foster Hewitt Award winner as uh, one of the legendary, truly legendary uh, broadcasters in, in, in NHL history. Uh, well deserved, well earned, and you know me, uh, I wouldn't say that unless I absolutely meant it. So um, well done, Rick. Uh, an honor, right. absolute honor to have you on. And you know what? It's an honor to to have you as a good buddy and uh, to have. Uh, been a part of your career way back in the day when uh, we what we helped all help the Lightning uh, usher them into the NHL. But you were the one who really uh, brought hockey in everybody's home and taught them yes. how the game was played. Well, thanks, Roy. Really appreciate it. It's great to to hear your voice once again and be on with all of you guys. It's been a great honor to to receive that uh, as this strange uh, year of 2020 has been going on here, and you know here we are all of a sudden. The games have been coming so fast and furious that we find ourselves in the middle of the Stanley Cup finals already. So it's, it's been a wild ride, that's for sure. That's for sure. <laughs> it has. Rick, uh, real quick, I, I've got to get off here in a few minutes, but give me, give me I, I mean, I, I, it's, it's almost ridiculous to ask you what, you know, the, the, the highlight of your career was, um, but 
give me give me two or three highlights, things that when you when you take the time, maybe you've already taken the time to kind of you know reflect on it all. What, what are you most proud of? What was the moment that you know if you could say one moment really stood out for you in your career? What was it? And, and, and tell us a little bit about you know what you're most proud of as a, as a broadcaster. Well, I, I would say, you know, in the time in Tampa Bay, and Roy, you go back, uh, Tommy, you certainly do as well, to go back to the Stanley Cup run of 04, and uh, our coverage in, on the old Sunshine Network stopped in the second round, and the last game we did that year uh, from the Bell Center in Montreal, the Lightning uh, came from behind, those the famous last second tip through the legs by Vinny LeCavalier, the overtime winner by Brad Richards. That whole game, I think, stands mm. out as, as my favorite and uh, maybe, and and you guys would have great memories of this too. I'm standing in the bowels of Amelie arena, once known as the ice palace. And when this place opened in 1996, uh, just being a part of that, my family had just moved to town and the lightning had their permanent home and we had a new permanent home. And I just always remember, you know, we all had tuxes on a big win over Gretzky and the Rangers and, Mm -hmm. and just an explosive evening for Tampa Bay sports. So those are two of the things that, it stand out, and I want to say that last game I got to do with Columbus and the Lightning and, and the way things ended up there, it's, it's going to be a big thrill, certainly, as I look back. Yes. Yeah, you were uh, you chronicled uh, many of the greatest moments in Lightning history so far, that's for sure. And, uh, you know, you're right, that, that game in Montreal, um, I, 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 I absolutely I, – I hate to compare it to a, a football moment in Tampa Bay, but it's kind of like the – the game where Rondé Barber had the interception of Donovan McNabb in Philadelphia, they were going to the Super Bowl. There was something about that game in Montreal that just kind of said right then and there, this team's going to win a Stanley Cup this year. Is, is that kind of how you, you, you remember it? Yeah, they were on a roll at that point, uh, you know, having beaten the Islanders, and then they were on their way to a sweep of Montreal, and, and nothing seemed to, to hold them back. And I think, Roy, you remember game four, uh, that Montreal series. We didn't do that one on TV, but I just remember how the fans, every time Montreal would score, they'd be playing that ole, 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 ole soccer uh, <laughs> dance. And I just remember the Lightning locker room, just that uh, that chant just bursting out from the Lightning locker room after they had swept the Canadians and the guys were really having fun with it. And Yeah, they knew they were on their way at that point. Obviously, some very, very difficult challenges lay ahead for them on their way, but uh, they got it done. And, you know, I see a lot of similarities between that team and what we're watching here in the finals in terms of one goal wins and uh, bouncing back after losses and things like that. Yeah, Rick, I've well, got one run. question I'd jump at you would be this, here. and that is uh, how do you differentiate between what happened early in the playoffs? Uh, what were they over 12 on the power play? And then all of a sudden came alive and, uh, uh, what changed that? And also, uh, I thought that uh, Dallas, quite honestly, was very, very loose with the puck in their end. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you guys saw it differently. But I can't imagine you giving up the putt that many times in your own <laughs> in front of your own net as they do. Well, I think the forecheck on the very talented uh, Dallas defense is certainly a priority for the Lightning. I think. Stopping that defense and forcing mistakes has got to be a, a big part of success against Dallas because, you know, that defensive unit leads the league in the playoffs in scoring. 
and they generate so much offense from there. So if you can stop them and force them to cough up the puck, you're, you're really doing yourself a, a big favor there. As far as the power play, right. yeah, it's been crazy where they went 0 for 15, then they went 8 for 25, and then they go 0 for 14, and then <laughs> the other night they go two for four. I, I'm not sold on the power play without Stamkos really being solved. A couple of those big nights came in blowout wins over the Islanders and the Bruins. Uh, so I'm not sold that they've really solved the issues there, but, but now you get to Steven Stamkos, as, as Roy said, perched in that left, uh, left-wing circle, and, and let's mm-hmm. see what happens now when you add a weapon of his caliber. Wow. Rick, I've got to run, but I want to get one last question into you. First of all, I want to say thanks for coming on board, and uh, it's great to hear from you again. And uh, you and I will be getting together soon, as soon as uh, we can get away from wearing masks and all that good stuff, as soon as it's safe. But uh, to celebrate a, a great career and, uh, and maybe another Stanley Cup championship here. But you and I and Tommy has done the same thing. Frank, you've been here as well. We've watched Victor Hedman grow up into one of the best mm-hmm. defensemen, exactly. not just in the game today, but one of the best defensemen ever. Rick, I'll leave you with this question. What is it that Hedman is doing now that he wasn't doing early on? How has he grown into this player? What have you seen uh, through his development that makes him so special right now? I think it's just the maturing as a professional, Roy. I, I look back to the early days, and I got a chance, uh, pre-draft to meet him, uh, John Tavares, and uh, Matt Duchesne. They were the consensus number ones, two, and three picks. But this was before the draft, so you didn't know who the Lightning were going to get to take at number two. Uh, but they had come into Tampa Bay for uh, some interviews and a little fitness testing, which I guess was allowed back then. And the thing that struck me then and in the early years with Victor Hedman always had the best attitude of any athlete that you encountered uh, through that whole time. He's always eager to learn, eager for more responsibility, mm-hmm. eager to get going and, and let's play and let's win and let's figure this mm-hmm. out. And he's always had that, right? So I think as he's matured as a person and matured as a, as a player, that starts to come out. And we see him taking charge in so many situations where they need someone to grab that puck or make the big defensive play. As Rick Bonus famously said a couple of years ago when he was on the Lightning staff, Victor Hedman is everywhere all the time. And yep. that's the kind of player he's become. And I, I just think it's been a, just a natural maturation process. But he had the, the goods to make that happen right from the start. Yeah, he mm-hmm. definitely has the goods. You know what he's got now as well? Rick, he's got, he's got confidence. And, you know, you, mm-hmm. you can't take away from the fact that He's got a goaltender behind him that he knows allows him to go and be aggressive in the offensive end. He's got players around him who are smart enough, talented enough to to cover him in the defensive end. He gets back there anyway, but he knows he's got people covering for him. Um, And he's got a system that allows him to go and and, and be aggressive. It all plays a part in it, Um, but he really has turned into one of the truly special players throughout the league. Yep, no question. I'm shocked that he didn't win the Norris trophy. And I understand right. that, uh, yeah. you know, the people that vote on that sometimes want to go a different way and incorporate different people and, and kind of show that they're paying attention to, to maybe some other people than, than the same guys all the time. But I, I really think that uh, he should have gotten that award. Maybe my view is clouded a little bit because the regular season was so far in the distance 
and we've seen such a dominant player in the playoffs, which of course doesn't figure in the, the voting on that. Uh, but, uh, you know, he's just become that, that kind of a player. And if it all comes out the right way for lightning fans, uh, it certainly wouldn't shock me if he's getting the cons might. You, you yes. know, Rick, I was just going to say that, and, and I'll leave you with this, guys. Uh, I agree with Rick 100%. Um, I was surprised to see that uh, Victor Hedman didn't win the Norris. I think a lot of the people who might have voted, not voted for him as, uh, first, look at these playoffs and say we might have missed on that one. But um, you know what? I think if he wins the Con Smythe, which right now he's got to be in the lead for it, uh, that mm-hmm. just might make up for it a little bit because he'll have the Stanley Cup to go with it maybe. So uh, that would be special. So, guys, hey, I'm going to run. Great talking to you as always. We'll do it Thanks, again next Roy. week. And uh, Rick, great, great talking to you again, my friend. Really good talking to you. Roy, have yeah, a good week. It's always Roy, a pleasure. We learn something every week that you're on with us. We sure yeah, do. Well, good to know. <laughs> have you with us there, Rick, Roy. Thank Rick, you. Uh, Rick, this is Roger. I've got a, que- a couple of questions for you. Sure. Number one, I'm, I was looking at your uh, bio, and you're with the Hartford, Hartford Whalers. I've been there to see games uh, a number of years ago now. But um, and then you came to Tampa, and um, the the thing is that and you were also uh, in the AH, AH, AHL with Rochester, so you have really seen the hockey world for a long time. The a question I have is, are have you been doing the games recently in the bubble where you can't be there? You do them from like your home base, like. They are in- no. Uh, well, we've been doing the games. We on Fox Sports Sun called the games in the first round of that series against Columbus. And while they've been in the bubble in Toronto for that series, we are in Amelie Arena, where I am right now, as we're going to watch the game and do our post game show on Fox Sports Sun after mm-hmm. the game. But you know, calling the game off a monitor from the usual home TV booth. Uh, Brian Inglom, my color announcer, is in the visiting TV booth. And Paul Kennedy, Pete, Dave Andrichuk were in their usual spot in the concourse. But, of course, it's a dark, empty arena. So we're yelling back and forth at each other across the arena during the wow. you know, break of the game and beforehand. And I mean, just the weirdest thing you've ever seen. But, uh, you know, very unusual to call games under that circumstance. But, uh, you know, I think through the years you've, you've done enough games that you can get through situations where you may not be able to see things as, as you normally would if you're watching it live from a press box, but it was fun. A little different, uh, certainly an unforgettable experience. How do you think way? a non-building experience, uh, no, no real home games, how do you think that has affected the playoffs? I'm surprised that it hasn't had a, a negative effect. I, I kind of was wondering if that would impact the intensity of these games. But I think we've seen right from the start that the players are in it. And once they get into the game, it might've been a little strange for them, you know, not hearing any cheering or any reaction other than, you know, their own voices on the ice, but the intensity has been very high right on through. And I think that uh, uh, we're really seeing that now. I don't think anybody's held back in terms of, uh, the intensity of the game, the, the uh, hard hitting, anything that you normally incorporate into a Stanley Cup final, I think we're seeing all of that. Uh, I got to agree with that. I, I I was amazed. I just didn't believe it was going to be as intense as it's been, and uh, so I would have to agree with what you're saying. I I don't think you can differentiate between what we're seeing now and any other Stanley Cup playoff. 
Mm. No, I don't think so. It's just uh, it's an unusual matchup. It's two non-traditional hockey markets, um, you know, who've really come a long way off the ice in, in developing interest in the game in their particular mm-hmm. markets. I think that's a great aspect that maybe hasn't been uh, explored enough by the media. But uh, and these teams obviously they haven't played each other since December. That was the second and final meeting. And it's it's been very intense. The Lightning have uh, surprised people, I think, with with how they come right back at people who try to punch them in the nose and expect to get away with it. And you know, it hasn't really deterred them from their mission. You know, it, sometimes right. you get into physical games and they throw you off your your game a little bit by coming after you and, and taking shots at people like Kucherov. It hasn't thrown them off at all, and they've continued to play to their structure as they like to talk about, but just their game plan, they just stay with it, and it's uh, paid off very well for them. I guess the Stars uh, arena is still the American Airlines arena down in Dallas, isn't it? I believe so. Yep. Uh, I have to go this year. Uh, The game they played there, actually, I I misspoke about the last meeting. It was actually the day after the All-Star game, the first Mm -hmm. game back from play. Since I didn't go, I guess it slipped my memory, but I was an NBC game, so I didn't go on that trip, so I didn't even go to the arena this year. But, yes, it's still uh, American Airlines uh, Center, I believe that one is, center. and where the Miami Heat play is the American Airlines Arena. Well, I'll tell you, Rick, I was down there. I went to a couple of Stars games when uh, during Super Bowl week, you know, when it was at uh, uh, ATT uh, Stadium. And I got to tell you, remember it was all ice that week, and we were on a media bus, and it and it slid yeah. off the road. And I want to tell you, going from the parking lot to that arena was one of the scariest walks I've ever had in my life, <laughs> <laughs> because you were just taking one little tippy toe at a time on that sheet of ice. I was that's what I always I'll never forget it. Mm. Yeah. Kind of a funny city in terms of weather because it can get that cold. Um, and, uh, you know, when they had that Super Bowl there, they, I think it was very cold. And then, you know, you, I think just recently it was, you know, high 80s or 90s. And it's by this time it's usually starting to cool down a little bit. So you get the extremes in Dallas, I think, sometimes. And uh, if you're not ready for it, uh, it could be a problem. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Well, you've been with them. You've been with them for such a long period of time. But one thing I would like to ask you is that, uh, as you watch Coop during the course of the games, he's very, very sedate. Very. When they scored that goal the other night, have you ever seen him as demonstrative as he was? And when that goal was scored the other night. Oh, the uh, the game that clinched the series. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely the most emotion I've seen out of him uh, on one particular play. I mean, you know, we've seen them clinch series and and the run to the uh, finals in 2015. He certainly, um, you know, is right there celebrating. But, yeah, you're right. During the course of the game, he's very calm and, you know, he doesn't lose it on the officials. And I think it's (laughs) designed to to make sure that his players are calm and, and kind of radiate that kind of, uh, leadership and, and kind of direct them in terms of how to control your emotions. He's very good at that, but uh, he's a lawyer, so he can That's right. <laughs> he can uh, control things, and he's learned how to control the message and, and make his points and not get too over-emotional about it. 
Well, he gave it about three Tiger Woods pumps on that on that night. Yeah, you did. That's great. Hey, Rick, I got a question for you. Do you think Sonia Bronson is lightning's good luck charms like took wires to Kate Smith back in the seventies? Yeah, it's funny at uh, how everything's taken off for Sonia. She's been through so much right. in terms of uh, the physical issues and so forth, and she's such mm-hmm. a favorite, so beloved in uh, the Tampa. And once again, I'm, I'm standing in Amelie Arena in this building. Uh, that uh, it was great to see her singing the anthem on so many levels during the course of the playoffs where the Lightning were designated as the home team. That was uh, certainly a special thing. I'm sure it meant a lot to the team. And uh, great to have her as a a permanent part of the game presentation. That's great. Because I I told her, Sonia, you you you're going to be the flyer, you're going to be the Lightning's Kate Smith. And she gave me a big smile and a big (laughs) hug. That was before this virus started. Because I always walked down there before I – you know, you know, I was like, I had to walk down and get the mail done the last couple of times, and she was down there, and I said, Sonia, you're excellent. Just keep it going. Fist pump like this to me. <laughs> That's great thing about yeah, Rick, that. I, you know, I'd like to know, like, because of your long career, and congratulations, as uh, Roy said, for going into the Hall of Fame. I mean, what Thank an you. honor. Uh, but the uh, thinking back to your days in Hartford, and uh, what what was your biggest uh, remembrance of uh, the time you were with the Whalers? Well, um, I guess my fondest memories would have been uh, working with Jerry Cheevers for nine years on uh, uh, Sports Channel New England, calling the games, and also in Sports Channel America. We had we had some uh, memorable times there working some extra playoff games that the Whalers weren't involved in. Um, but the, the run that the team had in 1986, and I still tell people, they could have won that Stanley Cup, not the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, and people, mm-hmm. of course, roll their eyes and scoff about it. But uh, the Canadiens beat the Lightning in overtime of the seventh, or the Lightning, the Whalers in uh, overtime of the seventh game of the Montreal Forum in a game where – I think Ray Ferraro hit a crossbar. Uh, Ivan Corbett mm-hmm. hit a post, and they, they easily could have won that game themselves. You go mm-hmm. up against an undermanned Ranger team, and you get to the finals against uh, Calgary, and, you know, uh, Canadians end up winning that series. That could have been the Whalers. So uh, I think right. that uh, that run was the most memorable uh, part involved with the team at that point. It was a lot of young players like Ferraro and Old Samuelson, Kevin Deneen. Uh, along with the young established guys like uh, Ron Francis and, and some of the others who came along. And we still see their names now because they're all in management or behind the bench coaching uh, any number of teams in the NHL. So it, it was a very special group of people, and it was a lot of fun to look back in those years. Yeah, what Jerry do you envision Jesus tonight? The now they're on the ice. It's just underway. And uh, you you envision a 2-1 game, one one. Uh, Goal game. What do you what do you think tonight? Well, we were just joking uh, uh, about the effect of Stamkos that uh, we wouldn't mind seeing four power play goals by the Lightning tonight and win five four. <laughs> That'd be nice. Yeah, they've been so good uh, five on five, and the power play hasn't been all that good. But you get Stammer back, and maybe it explodes. But you know, Dallas is a very very good team, well coached, playing a great style, and it's working for them. They've got a lot of big forwards as well, well as a couple of very mobile defensemen. So it's going to be a tough one tonight. 
I think it's another one goal win, whether it's a four, three or a, uh, two one, something like that. But I think the Lightning take the series lead tonight. Yeah, 100%, right. 100%, Rick. I got him at 3 1 tonight. And, and how about this? I'll make a prediction right now. Sam Coast gets a goal and assist tonight. 3 1 victory by the Bolts. Okay, I hope it starts there, Tommy, and uh, he can produce even more. But uh, it'll be great to have him in there and what a lift for his teammates, uh, yeah. certainly to have him on the ice as well. Oh, I have to give sweet. the NHL a lot of credit. They've done a great job on uh, controlling all these games under the bubble, and uh, I, I just can't say enough. I've had, I just did an outstanding job both uh, in both cities. Yeah, you know, not being in the bubble, you don't really know the experience day in, day out. Uh, but uh, from the exterior, it certainly looks like they hit every note perfectly in terms of, A, keeping everybody safe, be no hiccups in terms of uh, the schedule uh, related to COVID or anything like that. And, uh, you know, we're, we're seeing such a high level of play, and we talked about the intensity not lacking at all because of uh, no fans. So uh, I think it's really, really gone well. Um, I haven't paid any attention to the NBA, I'll be honest with you there, in terms of their bubble. But uh, I think that uh, if you're faced with a situation, again, what the NHL has done here would be, uh, the gold standard you want to really try to emulate. Absolutely. The other thing you can commend them on is the fact that they, uh, the settlement between the the owners and the players before they, before the Stanley Cup actually got started. It seemed to me that from a management standpoint that the National Hockey League was way ahead of anybody. Absolutely. Yeah, they, you know, they got a lot of criticism. I think there was a lot of surprise when the bubble cities were announced, everybody was assuming that Vegas was going to be the one and Chicago. There were some strange ones in there with the extent of the COVID infection rate in California. Why on earth would LA have been a finalist for one of the bubble cities, but they were <laughs> uh, supposedly, but then they choose two Canadian cities and people are kind of baffled by it. What a brilliant move. That was a stroke of genius right there is that, okay, Canada's encountering this thing. Uh, a, a much less serious rate than the United States. It's going to be very hard to control in the U.S. with a lot of different factors. The government in Canada has been able to get, a, uh, I think, a stricter handle on controlling uh, a lot of factors that you, you, know, you just can't do in the United States with the population being 10 times that of Canada's. And it just worked out beautifully. And I think that uh, the fact that there were going to be no fans there anywhere uh, it really didn't matter where they played. They could have played them in, on the moon, and it wouldn't have made any difference. So uh, it worked out well. Yeah, it'll be exactly. interesting. Uh, baseball's going to allow some fans uh, in the uh, NLCS and the uh, and the ALCS, uh, and it'll and I guess in the World Series. So it'll be interesting to see how that works out. Yeah, um, it's funny where you know I think Dallas. Exp- experimented a little bit with a watch party inside their Mm. arena, you know, and really watching the social distancing. And I think limiting the numbers to maybe a thousand fans and they're doing the same thing with the lightning here tonight to where they're going to build up to maybe a thousand fans being allowed to watch on the Saturday night. Um, But uh, you know, they've got a few hundred in here tonight and they've been trying things out to see if you can control that in a baseball stadium, it's going to be interesting to see. I guess the NFL, some right. of the markets have had 
you know, a certain percentage of their seats uh, taken by fans. And, and I haven't heard mm-hmm. of any problems uh, other than the usual fights in the stands in Cleveland, even though there was only 6,000 <laughs> fans and they all had to be Browns fans. He still managed to get into a fight. So, yeah, but, uh, you know, we'll see how it works out for baseball. Well, we all just hope for the best. As you said, uh, the population density of the United States made it very difficult. But more importantly, uh, so many of the states didn't really adhere to the the recommendations, rules, and regulations that they tried to put through. And, of course, Florida was one of the worst ones. uh, You know, they didn't want to give up the revenue during the, uh, the college break, the spring break. They didn't want to give up the revenue for a lot of things. And at Dade County and down in Miami, just were inundated with all kinds of problems, and uh, they were it was tough to control down there. But it looks like they're they're getting a handle on things now. Yep. Well, I think we're underway with the first uh, first period, guys. So I'm going to step away if you don't mind, okay. and uh, and stay on top of this to get ready for our post game show tonight. I, on, I thought on you were, I thought you were going to step I thought you were going to step away on that breakaway a few minutes ago when he lost the puck right in front of the net. <laughs> Congratulations! A, a yes. pleasure talking again. to you. Thank you. Appreciate it, guys. Have take, take care. care. Thank you so much for coming on. It was it, always <laughs> good to hear it, and thank you so much for spending some time with us. Yes, you're welcome, you so guys. Good. I look forward to the next time. So uh, take care and great. Enjoy the game tonight. Thank you. Go thank enjoy you. the game. Okay. Bye bye. Bye bye now. Oh, that's great. <laughs> One of the great hockey announcers, right, Tommy? Oh, oh my God, we just we forgot <laughs> to, we forgot to tell him to say hello. Up oh, we got another breakaway. Score. Uh oh. Score. Yep. That was. Lightning jump out. Yeah, Lightning jump out. One nothing. Oh, you're kidding! I have no cable right now. All the times I've no you, cable. Dallas gives up the puck. I mean, unbelievable right. the number of games they've played so far. How many times First they give up the Lightning. puck? Who did Yanni, Yanni Gord score for the Lightning? Look at this. Right in front. Of, they gave it off right on the blue line. They gave it away. Kucherov. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Tommy, you know, you, went, you know, that reminds me of Terry Murray and Ben Wilson. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. You can't be watching the game tonight? Is that what you just said? I have no cable right now, so. Oh, oh well. Listen, how about uh, do you have a uh, a smartphone like an iPhone? iPhone, probably. Yeah, I don't. I'm, I'll probably go local establishment and watch it in the big screen. Oh uh, well, so I'm just saying. Uh, I think that you can pick it up on uh, their app on NBC uh, SN, mm-hmm. and and you can do it because they're doing that on all the game, the Flyers, the uh, Phillies, and uh, Sixers. You can now mm. watch uh, games locally uh, on your uh, phone. Well, hey, guys, I got a funny story for you about Terry Murray, right? Uh, I was a fan back in Philadelphia. You know, I wasn't blessed to be in the media, but that was the second part of my career. And and, my, and I said, off, so go out in the old spectrum, hey, Murray, do us a favor. Get off the ice. <laughs> so he was coaching the coaching L.A. Kings, you know, and I said, I said, are you still here? I, you know, he starts saying, what are you doing here? Are you still here? Are you getting off the ice now? <laughs> <laughs> You know, something like that, you know, but that's just, um, you know, we got a lot of great Rick Peckham stories. We were out the other day, he's telling all the stories up there. I haven't told you this story. The chief was in on this. This is the John Tortorello hour. 
you know, I get the old time you get the tape up there, ready to get the tape, you know, all the media, you just go up there, torch car, and we up there. Up there. Okay, let me go up and get torch on the tape so I go back to the office. He says, Tommy, get that blank, 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 out of here. I, I was so scared I turned white and I ran down the hallway. Here comes, here comes Rick and the chief. Tommy, get back. It's only a joke. And Torch said, all right, I'm buying lunch today because I scared you. <laughs> 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 yeah. a, lot of, a lot of great stories about that. But no, it's a, I, I give Gary Bettman all the – they had NBC did a special about the bubble. Guys, these guys can play tennis, um, you know, ping pong, basketball, have meals whenever they want them. And he showed a picture of guys playing golf out there, you know, in the bubble area. I mean, it's, it's like a resort for those guys. They're off days. That's why the Lightning is playing great hockey right now because this is what these guys do. The off days in Tampa, they, you know, take the wives to the beach, but they just go swimming and have lunch up there. And the scenic for Edmonton is a beautiful city up there, guys. Oh, that's well, Tommy, the Lightning couldn't play much better. I mean, you're talking about overtime oh. wins. You're talking about the only thing oh, yeah. they really had a weakness is we talked a little bit ago, and that was, you know, the power play. They just went such a mm-hmm. – I thought it was 12, but he corrected and said it was 16. But, uh, uh, you know, they had so much trouble with the power play all during the playoffs until, mm-hmm. you know, the last game. So it's nice to see them turn that around, and it's also nice to jump out to a one and nothing lead in game exactly. three. That's your big right now because remember in 15, there's one, there's one, one, and the Lightning won game number three. And, and right out during game four, Victor Hedman crashed into Ben Bishop. And that was your series right there. After that, the Lightning lost all confidence and everything. But no, they, they're playing a full 60 minutes right now. You give John Cooper so much credit. He, he showed right. emotion. And they but, the, but going into today's game, Tommy, they still weren't a favorite. I thought they would be. Uh... I thought they would be the favorite going into the finals, but they weren't. Mm. Don and uh, Tommy and and Frank, I just want to jump in here uh, Mm -hmm. on the uh, Phillies telecast uh, because I have it on, um, uh, you know, uh, what is it, CC. Um, They just announced that today is Dan Baker's birthday. And uh, that uh, he is resting home uh, comfortably and getting better with each passing day. So Great. that just came across the screen, and I just wanted to jump in and because uh, today is Dan's birthday, and he's been through a lot. Oh, so great. praying for him. That's fantastic. Well, we've talked a lot over the last few weeks about that. Uh, and, of course, he was <clears throat> very, very, very much low-key. There's not what a lot of publicity about it. And, boy, I couldn't be happier that uh, everything's coming along. Oh, yes, you and me both. Uh, Stammer just uh, scored again. You're kidding. Do nothing. What did I? What did I say? Just, guys? As, I, just as I said to Roy in the opening part of the right. show, I mean, you, Dallas is unbelievable. They give the fuck up in the offensive zone <laughs> yeah. all the time. Yeah. yeah. Watch, you have to tell what you're doing to watch Atlanta Falcons take from from last Sunday about who, who gets the ball up there. I'm mean, the onside kick up there. So it's, you know, when it's in the broadcast, it's four one scammer gets a goal and assist. Now he's got two points for the night in, in counting. I think right now, Sam Cook's on the ice. You have their captain, their phone, have their full team there. And Dallas has been a great run. Cinderella's supper's coming up real quickly, Dallas. Sorry, Ben, Jeffries, and Rick Bonus. They had a great year, but. Well, Tommy, this, this is just the opposite of game number one. I don't know what. 
<clears throat> you know, I don't know what the circumstance was behind game number one after the, all the great games they had played during the right. Cup Series to come up with that mm-hmm. limit on game number one, but they have started going back to the kind of play that we've seen for the last number of years and uh, play very, very well again tonight, leading 2 nothing. No, thank you for that hey. report, Don. Well, I'm, just, I'm, ex- I'm excited hey, for Brian. that. Cause... Yeah. Right, just so you, you got a uh, – I know we were going to talk about some Philadelphia sports uh, tonight. Um, looks like um, the Eagles have another uh, major uh, uh, problem with uh, a lineman uh, with a torn ligament. You want? Can you talk about that, Jay Rager? Well, uh, yeah, the uh... – well, I, I know that he went out. And I hold on a minute, and I'll, I'll get you the. Uh, He's got uh, a ligament uh, in his thumb. Yeah. Mm. Okay, that, and, and that's not what they need. Okay. Right. Uh, and you, right. You, you know, it was amazing throughout the league, uh, the injuries that uh, occurred uh, the, the uh, throughout the league, and uh, the the. Uh, Let's see. You know, now here's the whole story on it. Um, the uh, Brandon Brooks went, you know that, with the Achilles. Javron uh, uh, Hargrove and Andre Dillard. And on Tuesday, the Eagles placed left guard Isaac Semamalo on IR, and he will miss at least a handful of weeks. Mm. And then you're right, Jason Rager, watching practice uh, from the sidelines wearing – Sweatpants has a thumb injury that could sideline him for up to six to seven weeks. Mm. And uh, yeah, he's got torn ligament. You know, yeah, yeah, torn ligament. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I'll tell you, it, it, it's brutal. And uh, Frank I, and uh, Don and, and Tommy, I got to believe that uh, not playing any preseason games and the limited amount of uh, practice that they had has taken its toll throughout the league. Mm-hmm. Yep. I agree with you about that, Roger. This is, um, you know, usually preseason takes the guys really four weeks to get the game shaped, and these guys have no preseason games. Week number one comes, and that's like an exhibition game for half these teams, all these teams, I should say. Well, that's right. And Fletcher Cox, Cox missed practice today uh, with an abdomen in, injury. So mm. they're keeping their fingers crossed that it's not serious. And Vinny oh, Curry's boy. injury pushed uh, the man – uh, third-year man ja- Josh Schwett into a more prominent role. Uh, so, it, you know, it, it's just unbelievable, uh, the injuries. And you look at the injuries uh, to the uh, Phillies in baseball, uh, of course, the, the the bullpen is what has destroyed that team. And uh, <laughs> I wonder – They don't I have a bullpen, if, Roger. Uh, it's a big All I can say <laughs> is hopefully that uh, when the season's over, the first move that's made – is Andy McPhail and Matt Clintac gone? Well, they'll be gone. They better gone. be. They haven't. Well, going back to your conversation about the Eagles, uh, you know, you're looking at a team or a game, I should say. You're looking at a game in which both teams are 0 and 2. So, <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. If they can't beat if they can't beat Cincinnati, it's going to be a long year. The Browns well, you're right, and, and on top of that, uh, Don, the uh, they go to San Francisco um, the following week. And, right. But I would say this: I think uh, Garofolo is not going to be plus because he got hurt. So yeah, he boy, got hurt. Late. He got hurt the other day. Yeah, 
So he may be out, and that may uh, uh, change the uh, complexion of the game a little bit. But who knows? Because San Francisco got uh, shocked in that opening game. They better yeah. they better worry about this week. They they can't worry about San Francisco next week. They've oh, got to worry about beating. They got to beat Cincinnati this week. Yeah, well mm-hmm. they they didn't worry about being the uh, Washington football team, and look what happened. You're exactly right. Yep. They gave Roger, a what's, the, uh, what's the story on the uh, the New York field? That, that, I mean, Garof, you talked about Garofalo going down, and there was three other players that went down with uh, torn ligaments uh, off that new uh, turf that they put on. Funny thing about that, Frank, that the New York Post covered that pretty extensively the other day. 49ers didn't really, they didn't really complain about the turf. Uh, they said they said the turf was not that bad. They said it was a little bit soft, but that it was not that bad. So I don't know how much uh, that had to do with the injuries that took place, but they didn't really. I, you know, usually when they came into the vet and the vet turf was so bad, they complained about it from the minute they got out there to warm up until two days after the game was played. That didn't happen. Uh, I was surprised. Yeah. Well, remember the night Brian Billick uh, wouldn't let the uh, the Ravens play. Remember that? Exactly. They exactly. canceled that preseason game. Mm-hmm. Mm. The um, it, you know, but this is new turf. Know. It's all I, new. It's all new turf over there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the uh, players' association is asking for a. Uh, a complete uh, analysis of the, the uh, turf and uh, uh, what uh, can be done to tighten it up and to uh, possibly uh, uh, cause less injuries. What can they do? I, I, I have no idea what they can do. What can they do, Frank? That, that, you know, it's, it's artificial turf. So the only thing they could do is to shrink it up a little bit to tighten it. But that's, uh, that's going to take a long time. I mean, they, they're going to have to uh, – Figure out first of all, they're going to have to have the engineers take a look and see which which part of the field it has to be redone. And the second thing right. would be with it, uh, uh, trying to get a, a contractor that can come in and do it. I mean, it was easy to lay it down, but the, to try and straighten it out with problems like they're they're claiming uh, that could be a, a major problem. And if they tighten it up what, on one side and it loosens up on the other. Yeah, what stadiums this that you're talking about? New York. Oh, Giant oh, Stadium. Yeah, Giant yeah. Stadium. Uh, well, did you Dallas just did scored. you see month? Well, you're you're right, Frank, and it is a problem uh, when you have it. Okay, especially this new sports turf because I saw uh, when they were installing it uh, in the uh, 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 Falcons uh, uh, indoor facility. I I was chauffeuring uh, a lot of the guys back and forth to the airport. And they were telling me about it. And what they were doing is they were uh, ahead of installing it at uh, Mercedes-Benz Stadium. That's why they uh, were in there. And it was really some operation to watch this. Now, I will say this. I really was impressed uh, with the Las Vegas Stadium the other night because just like Phoenix, they've got natural turf that's on one of those uh, planes. You hit a button. And it goes outside so you can uh, grow the grass and everything. Press a hmm. button and the whole plane comes back in. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, I'll tell you, Roger, when I was out there a few months ago, uh, we could go over. I went over toward the new stadium and, and looked at what they did. And 
you're right. I mean, uh, they're going to try very hard to, to make it a uh, natural turf all the time. They're, uh, they're going to see whether it works or not. But uh, you're right. I, I, I thought it was a great facility, and uh, Gruden's got to be awfully happy with his team's performance uh, the other night. They did quite well. Well, they did. And see, the, the first, uh, uh, Phoenix was the first to come out with that uh, uh, that uh, uh, setup, you know, with natural, uh, uh, you know, natural grass. And right. hit a it was going to be that way originally, again. Roger. It, it was going to be that way originally in New York, I believe. They were going to roll it out because they were going to play soccer and football. And they were, they were the thinking was that, uh, you know, it, it would be too much. Uh, so I think that changed the complexion of doing it. But I think that was one of the ideas they had in New York, that they were going to be able to roll it out and then roll it back in again. But they, I think they gave that up. Hmm. Well, it's difficult, you know, when you have there, you have a game almost every week because you have two teams and, and then you've got, uh, you know, soccer and uh, on top of that. And uh, I can tell you uh, being in, in Atlanta at the Georgia dome, the old stadium, I mean, the uh, you had the Falcons, you had Georgia state playing there at the time. Of course, I was watching the Georgia state game the other day they play in uh, the old Turner Field. That's their stadium now. And it was interesting how they put uh, bleachers, like where the outfield was, you know, at Turner Field for baseball. And uh, they, uh, of course, it's artificial turf now because they're playing field hockey, football, soccer, everything on it. But I can tell you at uh, the uh, the Georgia Dome, uh, having been there to broadcast high school games, you're talking about like a, I think it's a four-day uh, weekend, and mm-hmm. and there's like one game after another, boom, boom, boom. That's got to. I don't care who it is, high school or what. That's got to take a a, uh, a toll on that uh, turf. Well, Roger, the first time you really saw it uh, from a college standpoint, I know you'll remember this, and Frank will too, uh, is when Penn made the decision at Franklin Field. Because right. they play soccer, they played all their real sports. They play soccer there. They played football there. They practiced mm-hmm. there, and they were one of the first ones in Philadelphia to put the turf down. It was at Franklin Field. Right. Remember that. And there's oh, more yes. and more high schools that have done that now. Uh, I know Princeton High School, and and it's really smart. You know, they were thinking in Hamilton Township because you have three. They were thinking about uh, uh, building a uh, a separate. Uh, location uh so all three schools could play on an artificial uh surface but you know i don't think that that's uh you know that ever materialized well well the phillies haven't done well uh in the last few games but they're up tonight 12 to 1 in the top of the ninth inning you think that's enough Well, I, I don't see them winning uh, against Tampa Bay. I do not see that. Uh-oh. The next three Uh-oh. games are against the Rays. Well, we, we talked a little bit of hockey. We've talked a little football. We've talked a little baseball. And uh, Mike's down there in Washington, D.C., and uh, he can tell us about the Redskins, what happened to them. They came back to earth on Sunday. He can tell us about the Baltimore they're ready to go with a really big game on Monday night. That's going to be a, a super game Monday night in Kansas City and and, uh, and Baltimore. And uh, 
So, Mike, give us a little bit of insight on whatever it is, well, soccer, football, baseball, whatever you feel you're going to jump on top of. Well, I heard you all talking about it when I was talking to Tommy, but the Phils are um, finally up against the Nationals after, you know, they'd owned the Nats this season and then to come in when you needed to win four and lose three of them. So far, it's not good looking for them at the end of the season. Not looking good, Mike. And and very lethargic. Very lethargic. But it's been a lot of games in a a very short amount of time for them. So I can imagine that they're a little bit uh, tired. But that's no excuse. you still got to go out and get the job done. And Don, you mentioned it. The the the, uh, the Redskins kind of came back to earth, um, and we saw kind of what they they what they're going to look like against a team that had weak work to tape to plan for them. Um, I don't know if that makes the Redskins the uh, Eagles loss to them look any worse. I mean, the Eagles didn't exactly look great on uh, Sunday, but. Uh, no. The Skins are going to struggle this year. Um, that defensive front four is really, really good, but they're still a little weak at linebacker. Um, Dwayne Haskins is going to make mistakes, uh, and there's just not a lot around him. Outside of Terry McLaurin, there's really there's nothing. that, that They have probably the fewest weapons on offense outside of uh, the Jets right now. So, uh, it, it's going to be a struggle, and you, you're seeing in the penalties. And, and Ron Rivera said all the right things about how they're building and stuff, but it's going to be really interesting to see how long they let Dwayne Haskins go. I know that he was the first-round pick, but Ron Rivera brought in um, Allen, his backup quarterback, and that's clearly the plan B. Um, if they're going to get to a point this season, say week eight, when they're – you know, one and seven, two and six, and say, you know what, we've seen enough Haskins. Um, we like him a lot, but there's just not enough there for me to feel comfortable going forward. And I, I don't know, maybe they bounce back this week. Who knows? But uh, it, it just it wasn't a great game for for them on Sunday. Hey, man, any, yeah. any speculation on what the uh, the name of the uh, Washington football team will be in the future? You know what? No. And it's kind of surprising that they that it's taken this long. Now, I did learn anecdotally that they have said that they're not going to allow old Redskins gear to be worn into the stadium, which is mm-hmm. – a bit. Awesome. I, I don't think. I I think that it's it, it, it's one of those moves. It's a money making move that's designed to sound good. It's one of those mm-hmm. things where it's like, hey, if you want to come in, we're going to force you to buy all new gear. I can't imagine yeah. them saying. It, it it strikes me as odd that they would be like, absolutely not. You can't wear the old uh, jerseys in the stadium. I don't know 100% whether or not that's true, but I did hear from a couple of people who had tickets and are regulars down at the game that they had heard that they Mike, were. I would agree with you. That, I think that's a tremendous mistake if they do that. I, I can't, you know, it's okay to change the name. And I, I mean, I didn't even agree with changing the name, but if they're going to change the name because they want to, you know, bow down to the pressure, well and good. But to say that the, the people that have spent good money and bought jerseys or bought whatever memorabilia, 
that they can't come into the stadium with it. I, I think that is wrong. And Roger, one quick thing. Uh, Washington brought it in. They must have brought in a position player because he was doing a little folly float there. I I was watching the hockey game, and when you said they were they were up, I turned it on. Did they bring a Washington bring a position player in to, to pitch the last oh, Yeah, Holt came in to pitch the uh, the the uh, part of the night. Yeah. Okay. Because he was throwing a lot of folly floaters up there. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> But it was a game. You know, you know what we were talking about uh, earlier. I think Tommy uh, brought it up. The uh, last year, Kabler, or last two years, he was having these guys cybermetrics and whatever. But he was also uppercutting. You know, home run, home run. And they did the same thing: high strike, high uh, fastball strikes. And finally, uh, the uh, what happened was. Oh, uh, there's a uh, base hit. Um, what happened wa- was that uh, the, w- the couple of the pitchers said, we've had it. That's enough. We're going to go back and do th- the way we were always doing, okay? And uh, the one of them was this the guy pitching tonight. And you have seen him this year. He has looked fantastic. And the uh, – and Eflin, okay? Because he last year went against Cabler, uh, and he went back to the way he had had success in past. And I I saw the game on I guess it was Saturday. He passed, pitched a masterpiece, and now he's got another one tonight. One run, I think he that's the only the fourth hit, and he all his pitch counts only uh, eighty uh, ninety six, and we're in the bottom of the ninth. Well, that's great. Well, we we've talked about the fact on this show the fact that. None of us, I think, liked how Kapler managed the staff. Oh, oh absolutely. <laughs> that's right, just buddy. <laughs> yeah, uh, right. I, mean, I, I think that's mildly, Roger, that, that, that we, we, we weren't big fans of how he managed his pitching staff. But one thing I will say about uh, Girardi is, as a catcher, you know, he's going to manage the staff a lot different. I think that they've really got to do something with Real Muto beyond being a good hitter. I do like how he handles that staff behind the plate. And I think having him back now after missing all those games, I think it, it is a bit of a difference for them. I, I just like how he's played that position and handled the staff throughout the whole entire season. Yes, Soto just hit a home run, Mike. Two-run homer. He's some You know he what? If he, wasn't, he is some, if he hadn't missed – a significant part of the season with COVID-19 at the beginning of the season. And if they had a better team, I wouldn't have been at all surprised if you heard more about Juan Soto in the MVP race. I mean, he's a really good young player. And he and Turner have been basically the entire offense for the Washington Nationals for a significant portion of the season. Um, I think that's at the end of the season are going to have some really tough decisions to make. You know, uh, Max Scherzer's coming towards the end of his deal. I think he's maybe got one year left. Um, but they, they just gave that big money deal to uh, to um, Strasburg. You know, they only brought back Zimmer, uh, Zimmerman on, on a short-term deal. Are they going to bring him back again? Uh, they have to, you know, is there another bat that they can go out? Because to be honest, there really isn't much in the farm system for the Nats right now. 
you know, they depleted it, uh, getting to the World Series and winning it. And it's going to be interesting to see what moves um, Mike Rizzo makes uh, in the offseason to sort of put the team back. Now, if you're going to have a really disappointing season following a World Series like they have, it's good that it's just a 60-game season and kind of one that we're all taking kind of with a grain of salt. But uh, I think they're going to want to be back in the playoff hunt again next year, and they're going to have to make a fair few moves. They're going to have to make a couple of moves to get there. Well, especially yeah, I think, you know, like in, in the area we talk about so often, and that is pitching. They, you know, you said Sirs on the, maybe the last year of the contract. Uh, we'll see whether he, uh, whether they decide to move or whether they decide whether he decides he wants to move. Uh, but they've got to get some more pitching. Well, they're going to hope that they get Strasburg back for a full season. Um, they really like Corbin. But that's very iffy. That's very easy. You know, how many how many seasons has he really pitched to, since they signed him all the way? I mean, it's very iffy when you one, count on him. One. And, I mean, if you're going to have your, your good season, your, your breakout season, your healthy season, your season where you look like the ace, what better way to do it than in your walk year? Because you know they locked him up. That deal's pretty much long term, and they're married to him for the foreseeable future. And you're right; he's had like one fully healthy season. And it's—I can't say that I'm not surprised that he came back afterwards and he was injured this season. That's been the story of Strasburg's career. When he's healthy, right. he looks great, but he—you can't keep him healthy. Um, he's not been. Adorable by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, they still got uh, Corbin on that long-term deal that they signed him to last year. But then after that, you know, are they going to go with Anibal Sanchez? Is there somebody else that they can bring in? Are they going to? Is there another free agent pitcher that they can afford to get? Because you know they have a lot of money still invested in Scherzer, Corbin, Strasburg. You know. They said last year, like, we can't afford to pay uh, Rendon and pay Strasburg at the same time. Right. So I don't mm-hmm. know what they're going to do. Um, you know, they, they, they want to still compete, and they feel like they still have the players to. And when you've got a young player like Juan Soto, you don't really want to waste that talent. And he, the, right. the worst part about it, well, he's 20. Well, Roger and I have been talking for the last well, – in fact, everybody has, not Roger and myself. Everybody's been talking about it with, you know, with $330 million tied up in Harper. How much can the Philadelphia Phillies afford? Because my feeling is it's going to be, and I said this to Roger the other day and to Billy Warren-Bell too, I think the contract's got to call somewhere 180 to $220 million. Now, how much can you pay two players and then have a team that's going to be competitive all the way around the horn? Okay. Well, they were the ones who said last year, that were when they signed Harper, that they had enough money that they could afford to sign Harper and had enough money for Trout if they wanted to. So we saw what happened. Trout said, I'm going to stay out here in L.A., and he signed that $400 million deal, right? So I don't want to hear them cry poor when it comes to re-signing Real Mudo because all of a sudden – oh, we can't do this. Like, yeah, I understand the vagaries of COVID and the shortened season and stuff like that, but you've still got that Comcast money coming in. They're not a poor franchise. A couple of years ago, two, a year ago, you had the money. 
now all of a sudden I don't want to hear, oh, we can't do it. So get the deal done. I'm sure it'll get done after the off season because if they let them let him go, I don't see what else the Phils have. Well, you're right. And and the other thing is it would be total embarrassment uh, after uh, only having him for two years and then, you know, part of uh, one of those years with the COVID virus. And because you see what the the uh, kid is that's uh, with the Marlins Sixto now. Sixto Sanchez. Yes. Sixto Sanchez. He, yeah, he could and, be, I mean, if he stays healthy, he could be a tremendous player, pitcher. And they were talking about him – for years and yeah, this whole thing about absolutely. you know the comparisons with Pedro Martinez they were happening when he was in double A I remember them talking about him about four or five years ago so I'm not surprised they, they talked about him when he was 16 years old my old yeah so to give up something like that um for two years of Real Muto and not to even make a good faith effort to resign him I think that the, yeah, whoever's in, the, in the, is it if it's still McClintock in the office, then he needs to go if he doesn't get that done. Well, they, they spent oh. all this money, and as you said, Mike, you, you, you know, they spent all this money over the last couple of years, and they haven't even been competitive. I mean, it's not even that uh, they lost out in the last week of the season, or they lost out in the last couple of days. I mean, they were a team that was ineffective all the way through. Mm-hmm. And we know what the problem is this year. It's the bullpen. And let's go see if they get that done and go out and get the arms and get the bullpen together. I think mm-hmm. Aaron Nola is a, is a solid starter. I like him a lot. Uh, Zach Wheeler has looked really good this season. You know, Eflin's had a pretty decent season. Finally, the, uh, the, the top of the rotation is starting to look like it has something to it. Maybe you need to add a starting pitcher there. Definitely that bullpen has been atrocious. I mean, it's record bad, breaking bad. And that's going to be one of the main reasons why they don't make the playoffs. But you got to sign JT Real Muto back. You got to get some bullpen arms in. And then if there's players that you have to move, move them. Because, again, they don't have nearly the farm system that they had a couple of years ago. So, I mean, I, I, I just think there, there are moves that need to be made. You know, the fact that we're still playing Jay Bruce in there, I mean, man, how old is that dude now? Is he like Methuselah? Yeah, but ha- how about uh, Arietta? Okay, and he's had three years of injuries. Mm-hmm. But isn't he done after this year? Yeah, it is. It is. But I'll, so, I'll tell you uh, uh, who else, Mike, uh, this guy Workman that they brought in. I mean, this guy is nothing but a bump. Okay. I mean, you know, how come, and they were talking, Joe was talking about this, this bullpen, they, these guys were doing well with other teams. What the heck happened? And, and Workman, he comes in and you automatically know he's going to lose the game. Just like last night, uh, you know, no surprise. It was like uh, at the beginning of the year, last year, Whenever Doolittle would come in for the, uh, I think it was Doolittle, one of the pitchers from the uh, from the, the Nationals, his ERA was infinity. He had given up something ridiculous. Like he he, he never recorded in, in three bullpen appearances to start the season. I don't think that he ever recorded an out. 
Okay. And that's the type of performance that the the, uh, the Phils have gotten thus far this year from their, their, their bullpen, the guys that they were counting on. I think that they need to, to do it. And the fact – you're right, Roger. I agree with you wholeheartedly. The fact that you gave up somebody who looks as good as Sixto Sanchez, we can't say as uh, fans that we're surprised by this. Like, we've heard about this kid being that good since he was 16. Right. And if you're going to – you gave him up in a trade. Now, I know he's in the Marlins, and you always feel like you can get him back. But come on, if you're giving them up for a rental like that and you never make the playoffs in two years, there's something wrong there. Let me just interject. The Lightning were up at the first intermission, 2-1. to one. Uh, Stankoff has scored a goal, as we said earlier. Uh, so we're going to period two in uh, the Stanley Cup final uh, game number three and side 1-1. One, one. And right now, the Lightning are up 2-1 to one and Tommy, I know Tommy's watching every minute of this. <laughs> I was to, I was watching the um, I decided against watching Monday Night Football on Monday um, for a little bit and, and turned on the Stanley Cup. And I got to tell you, man, that game was entertaining. I know that on Monday that the, the uh, Lightning got out and they got a good run, but Dallas got in and made that thing real interesting. I also got to admit that I kind of liked how tippy it got at certain points. It was nice to see some good old-fashioned playoff hockey fights. Well, I'll tell you, you know, it, uh, they, the Lightning got, got uh, right on top 2 nothing to start this game. Dallas came back and, and scored as well to make it 2-1. And uh, I think our earlier guest hit it on the nose. I think this is going to be a, another one of those nail-biters right down to the end because I think one goal is going to differentiate whether you win or lose tonight. These two teams are pretty evenly matched, and I'm not surprised that this is going to be a series. I wouldn't be surprised at all if the vast majority of the games are, are there's only one goal in it, and it goes all it goes six. Get this group of that. Before I forget, I do want to talk about you know there is one team in Philadelphia that are actually doing well. The Union have been crushing it lately. They have the only points they have dropped. They've got two points since they got back to regular season play, and that was a tie to to, uh, Columbus, who is in Columbus, who is right now the best team in MLS. So the Union, they're in action tonight. Right now they're they're tied nil-nil with FC Cincinnati, but the Union have been doing playing lights out soccer. They picked up a 4-1 win over the weekend. They were down one nothing, came back and scored four, and they just look like a really really solid team this year. Is that game on uh, local TV? Should be. I know that uh, I was getting. Yeah, it should be, Roger. Um, okay. I, I didn't see it, but Doug Hamilton is ready to go. Mike, once again, another great job for us, and uh, we covered it all. You, you cover a little week. hockey, you cover a little baseball, you cover a little football. You got it all in. So thank you very much once again. We always pick something up every time you come on. Hey, all right, on, man. Mike. I'll talk to you next week. And. Doug, if you're ready to go, I can say uh, quite a quite a tournament, uh, quite a tournament yeah. last weekend. Uh, the Open, and and uh, maybe I'll let you comment first on some of the things that you saw, uh, if you had time. But you're trying to work and watch it at the same time, obviously. But uh, some of your yeah. thoughts about the Open? 
so I'll first start that conversation, Don, by saying uh, when Frank patched me in, he was asking me how I was doing. I, I, I can tell you, you know, o- over the, you know, I don't know, uh, we'll say just golfing season this year, uh, it, it's been a rough go, um, you know, with the amount of people that have played, uh, the COVID, as we've discussed, um, you know, just overall staffing levels, uh, you know, trying to find people to work. I was, you know, minus assistance there for a while. So it, it's been a long year and um, it's really not getting any better for me in that sense. Uh, so me being able to uh, find time to, you know, actually watch a lot of these. I haven't played a nine or an 18 hole uh, consecutive round this year, um, which is embarrassing to some degree, but it also it's, speaks to the truth of how busy we've been and how understaffed and all those sorts of things. That being said, um, right. I didn't watch, uh, unfortunately I watched, um, I, you know, I always like the British open. I'm a, it's, I wish they would have played that this year. I watched more of the PGA, I think in proximity because of, of it being on the West coast and the availability of when I could watch it. Um, the U S open, I only caught, um, you know, pieces of, um, but last we spoke um, about who was going to win that, neither one of us pretty much thought that Bryson DeChambeau had a chance, um, you know, to to hoist that trophy. You know, as far as he hits it, um, typically doesn't set up for U.S. Open style. Um, we also did both agree that the USGA typically sets up golf courses um, extremely difficult in an effort to um, – and just kind of curb people closer to that um, even par mark. Well, Doug, um, they, seemed they, to, they seemed to let them go in the first round because there were, yeah. what, 13, 14 under par in that first yeah. round of void. After that, yeah, they that, shut that, the door. I mean, Don, well, yeah, yeah, one that, player, that, that was Shampo was the only one that was under par. That's true. And that was an, the first round was an absolute oasis for all those golfers. Um, you know, to stick some of those tees and pins in places where they were accessible and uh, right. You know, could could shoot some good scores. I mean, you know, um, you know, individual performances notwithstanding. I mean, I think, you know, obviously uh, day three, Matthew Wolf uh, was about five under par, and they had uh, some other really good, you know, single day individual performances. But by and large, as you mentioned, mo- most of those individ- most of those golfers were um, struggling, um, you know, with with those greens and those conditions, uh, whether it was wind or the firmness or or what have you. So. Uh, what we did see was an infusion uh, to some degree of uh, youth, um, you know, guys like Sergio, Phil, Tiger, uh, on and on, uh, that obviously missed the cut, um, you know, and some of the younger guys that, you know, in theory, the the next generation of golfers, uh, I would say that are going to be, you know, your DeChambeau's, your Wolf's, you know, the, all those guys, Victor Hovland, all those guys that, um, I've, I've always liked Vander Schauffele, um, and, and, and just that, you know, next generation of individual, um, that's probably going to, uh, catapult us into, you know, years to come. So, um, it was fun to watch. Um, gosh, DeChambeau hits it a long way. <laughs> he sure Woo! does, man. I'm, I'm very interested. There's a big piece in the New York Post today about, uh, DeChambeau and, uh, you know, once everybody gets on a bandwagon when you win, especially when you win like that, the six under at the, sure. at the open, and uh, they'll tell you how he's yeah. going to tear up the Masters now because the Masters yeah. is built for a player like that to hit the ball a long way and yeah. and 
has great second and third shots. And, uh, you know, his mm-hmm. second shot normally on a par five, his second shot is a six iron, seven iron, or eight iron, something like that. And uh, well, so it's going to be very interesting to see whether that carries over or not. You know, but the Masters has played on the same golf course, you know, year in, year out, where, you know, obviously all these other championships are, are rotational. So, um, right. you know, I always think the Masters lends itself to um, a bit of experience and wisdom. And we've seen um, individuals over the years, um, you know, gosh, uh, let's see, Kenny Perry, um, Larry Mize, um, Ben Crenshaw. I mean, you could go on and on with, you know, the, the wisdom, if you will, of that golf course um, versus, you know, pure power and uh, overpowering it, you know, and that's, you know, one of the reasons why uh, Augusta over the years has done similar things that the game of golf has seen in trend. I, mean, I don't know if you caught any of that. Uh, I think it was last night where they were talking about, um, the the Payne Valley Cup, which was um, uh, Tiger and Justin Thomas that played against Roy McIlroy and Justin Rose, and they unveiled Tiger's first public design, which is in Missouri. Um, what what a wonderful facility that looks like, um, you know. But they were talking and they had a press conference and they were talking and Roy McIlroy answered the question of you know kind of where golf is going and. Now you see uh, all these different golf courses that are 7,500, 8,000 yards long, you know, because of the uh, the combating, if you will, of technology and, and golf clubs and golf balls and how far people hit it. And you know, Tiger said when he used when he originally came on tour, if you could hit it, you know, 260, 270, you were a long knocker. You know, now for shit's sake, that's a three wood for most of these guys. You know what I mean? So, you yeah. know, these guys like DeChambeau are hitting it. 320, 330, 340, 350. And so those golf courses of yesteryear that were 6,800 yards are pitch and putt for these guys. You know what I mean? Um, you know, so the game has changed. And they asked Roy McElroy, they're like, well, you know, what, what are we going to do about this? And his answer was kind of, you know, smirky in a sense that he said, well, I think we're too far past that. You know, that w- what can we do about it at this point? You know what I mean? Uh, so I gotcha. it's, it's a different game, you know, and, you know, you guys play a lot of golf, you know, Tommy and Don, you guys play and, you know, as we get older, you know, certainly we can't hit it as far as we used to. So what do we do? We move up a set of tees so that we can still hit, you know, similar irons into greens and, and still play the game and, and have some fun. I mean, I know, like I said, I, um, over the years have played in different you know, pro-ams and different tournaments where they feel compelled to stick me as far back as they can, you know, and I, I don't like hitting either hybrids or four irons or five irons into par fours. I mean, hell, that's no fun, right? So, you know, I get it. It's just, um, you know, golf is supposed to be fun. You know, we need to make it fun. Well, before we jump uh, into the football, let me get over to Roger because uh, I want to hear your comments on uh, Monday night's game mm-hmm. and uh, Roger, sure. uh, the Ravens, Ravens are off to a great start. So you know, I'll let you start off with the football. Mm-hmm. Well, the uh, uh, the Eagles are off to a horrendous start. Okay, <laughs> never should have lost the what the Washington Football Team, and mm-hmm. then they really uh, only showed up uh, partially on Sunday. Jim uh, Schwartz took full responsibility for the performance of the uh, defense. 
And one mm-hmm. thing I noticed with Jim Schwartz, and I do not understand why, and not never, not in a position to ask him, he is the only coach that I've seen that does not have a play chart that he carries in his hand. I guess he's mm-hmm. got it all up in his head, but I think that uh, uh, you know that, that can be good or, or can be bad. In this case, I think mm-hmm. it's bad. So, uh, but the Ravens are good, no doubt about it. Uh, mm-hmm. We talked about Tampa Bay, uh, one and one now, and um, uh, the Steelers, uh, what two and zero? Oh. And boy, I'll tell you what, Bill Belichick got Cam Newton really running, doesn't mm-hmm. he? Yeah, Woo. he he does. Um, and Bill Belichick well, is a different guy now. Have did you see right. all the uh, subway commercials he's doing? Yeah. Well, Roger, no, been, no one's ever right? said that. Listen, no, yeah, no one's ever said that Bill Belichick would be a great guy to go out on a uh, a fishing boat with, okay, and you know talk about and hear stories and drink beers and catch fish and all that stuff. But you stick him in a press conference and he is as dry as the Sahara Desert, right? Um, so I, I, I get that, but I, I would love to spend time with Bill Belichick personally because I think he'd be a blast off off you know off field. Well, my, I'll tell you what, Doug. I have to tell you, I had a one-on-one with him after a Super Bowl uh, press conference. You know, when they have them like uh, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and then, you know, they have the big one. Mm-hmm. And I, I asked him, uh, and, of course, uh, Don knew him uh, well, too, Ken Kerfel, uh the uh, mm-hmm. longtime single-wing coach at Lawrenceville School. And I knew mm-hmm. that – and Ken had passed away. He was a good friend. And I went up to Bill and I said, Coach, uh, I was wondering if I could have a minute of your time to talk about uh, Ken Kerfel. He gave me as much time as I wanted. Mm-hmm. And he talked about uh, how he used to correspond with him when he was in eighth grade. How many eighth graders mm-hmm. are corresponding with a football coach, you know, like sure. that? Single, and, single uh, wing, Roger, single wing. Yeah. Single wing, wing. exactly. Yeah, yeah. And but he he was so kind to me about it. But why? Just like you said, it wasn't about the upcoming game. This is about a personal relationship with a uh, another coach uh, who he respected, who had just passed away. Mm-hmm. Totally different. You're right. Yeah. Well, uh, and to also to your point, I, I um. You know, I think the Eagles uh, are are a struggling football team. Um, what is it, uh, Peterson, the head coach? I think he's probably on the hot seat. I think that mm-hmm. um, you know uh, uh, Wentz is is really trying awfully hard to um, inspire that football team. I think their their defense is is average at best. I think that Zach Ertz would be better served um, with another football team and them garnering as many draft picks as they could for him. Um, you know, unfortunately for them, I think they play in an extremely weak division because the, the Washington football team, which they should have beaten, as we both uh, can probably agree, is not very good. The, the Giants are not very good. And I don't even think the Cowboys are, Check are, are really moment. worthy. Check for a moment. The, the Lightning just scored again. It's 3-1 to one Lightning down. Mm-hmm. 19-06 to go in the sure. second period. You know. Um, go ahead, Doug. By contrast, I, I think you look at um, 
you know, the, the, the Rams, the Seahawks, the Cardinals, um, that whole division um, is, is very good. Um, you know, Don, I know you'll likely ask me, I, I think the Baltimore Ravens uh, look as good this year as they have, you know, as they did last year. Um, I, think I was going to ask you about Monday night's game. I think Monday night's game is going to be a fun game to watch. It's probably, you know, listen, you know, um, for you, for all you guys, I know you watched that uh, ESPN, I think it won an Emmy or whatever, the, uh, the Chronicle about, you know, Michael Jordan uh, in his last season. I think that, you know, forever the Chicago Bulls struggled to uh, beat the Detroit Pistons, um, got bullied and, and couldn't beat them until they finally did. And also the New York Knicks, they, I know they struggled with them as well. And the Baltimore Ravens um, have had no success uh, in the previous two seasons playing the Kansas City Chiefs. So, uh, on paper, the Kansas City Chiefs are the proverbial favorite, even though the Ravens are playing at home, and the, the Ravens haven't been able to beat them. And so I think this is, you know, more than just a, a regular season football game. It's obviously going to have a playoff-style atmosphere. Um, and until they can beat the Kansas City Chiefs and, and knock them off the block, they're not going to win a Super Bowl. I mean, so, you know, it's it's kind of a now-or-never scenario, and I know it's – it's one game of, of 16 they play, and certainly they can uh, recover if they lose and, and continue on their, their path and, and, and eventually hopefully get to the, the playoffs and, and they're there. But eventually they're going to have to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, so I don't see any, any reason to not start this week, um, you know, with a little home cooking. I think that, you know, arguably you look at um, Patrick Mahomes um, as the, the – um, the model, if you will, of an NFL quarterback um, and what he's been able to do uh, prolifically passing the football. Um, but, I, but I think that the Ravens' defense um, is significantly better than it was last year. I don't think that Lamar Jackson has skipped a beat. I don't think their running game has skipped a beat. I think that offensively they've, they've added some things uh, to their arsenal in terms of, of draft picks and, and wide receivers and, and individuals that can, can catch and block and and run the football. So um, I'd like to see the Ravens win this football game. And I certainly will be in attendance um, in my brand new house here, watching that football game um, in my Lamar Jackson jersey, uh, rooting him on. And I I look forward to that. It'll it'll be great. Um, I'm excited about this. This is going to be a great week. I I thought the line was a little high to be honest with you, but I don't know. I I will have to wait till Saturday to see or Sunday to see whether it changes off a little bit, but, I think it's going yeah. to be a great game as well. I think that the two quarterbacks are obviously the two hottest quarterbacks right now in, in the National Football League. Not taking away sure. Drew, Drew Brees, he didn't, uh, he couldn't pull the game well, out the other night. Now the the Saints looked awfully bad uh, the other night. I think um, I, I don't believe the Las Vegas Raiders defense is is really um, you know that good. I think that. Unfortunately, we, we, we see a decline over the years uh, with individuals, and you can you can look at these um, as you know Tom Brady certainly hasn't hasn't looked good in his first two weeks. Um, I don't believe Philip Rivers has really particularly looked good in his first two weeks. I don't think Drew Brees has looked particularly good, um, and and these guys are Hall of Fame quarterbacks, and certainly taking nothing away from them and their abilities, and you know and what they've um, accomplished in the NFL. Um, I think they're obviously on the uh, the late back nine, if you will, of their career. Uh, but the standard bearers moving forward um, in terms of, of holding that torch for quarterbacks include Mahomes, Jackson, Foster, um, you know, and, and Kyler Murray, even and some of these individuals, Daniel Jones, that, um, uh, that, that, that have 
you know, they can run, they can pass. They're big guys. Cam Newton's another one. Um, you know, so they're, there's definitely a changing of the guard that's in place for sure. Yeah, I was just, uh, you know, looking at Joe Girardi uh, saying about uh, if Eflin is needed uh, on Sunday for uh, to get a win so they get in the playoffs, he's going to use them in relief. And also, I did not know that uh, Harper was in uh, such pain as he is because he had a huge night tonight, two for two, mm-hmm. two home runs, uh, two RBIs, and a uh, big night. So. I didn't know about the – we thought that he might have an injury because of his uh, performance recently, but uh, he had a big night tonight. But uh, let's talk about the Orioles a little bit. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, are they on the track now, uh, Doug, that they are yeah. improved? And they, I, sure. I think so, too. Go ahead. Well, I mean, even in a shortened season, uh, Roger, I think um, many gains have been made by the Baltimore Orioles um, allowing some of the youngsters to get on the field and, and play and, and to see what they can do. And, you know, I understand the rebuilding process takes, um, you know, some time with uh, fostering the development of, of your, your minor league systems and draft picks and rule fives and free agents and all these sorts of things that can uh, compile basically your, you know, your, your roster, if you will. Uh, but but I I do believe uh, that uh, John Means, Dean Kramer, uh, Keegan Aiken, guys like that that they've allowed to pitch this year um, have stepped up and, and provide uh, some uh, level of, of bright spot, I think, moving forward. Um, I think that the core group of, of individuals they've placed on the field, position speaking, um, you know, Austin Hayes, uh, Nunez, uh, uh, Ruiz, the third baseman, Iglesias played great, um, Hanser Alberto can flat out hit, Chan Cisco, uh, Severino, and all these guys that are their, their everyday kind of regular players um, have had uh, some decent seasons. Uh, Santander, I've long since said, uh, as a Rule 5 draft pick and has had some injury issues over the course of time, can flat out hit. Um, I think as they continue to develop – Adley Rushman and some of their uh, most recent draft picks. I, I think the season should be should be uh, you know labeled a success uh, in terms of the major league development, if you will, of these players uh, on the job training, so to speak. And um, you know I think that uh, obviously as they continue to stockpile draft picks and, and and hopefully make better selections and add to their already improving uh, minor league system. That you know I think we're talking about a two to three year window before they can be seriously become relevant. Um, you know, I mean, I, I think they played some good baseball this year. I really do. I think they were fun to watch. Um, I think for anybody. Doug, I, Orioles. Yeah. Doug, I think too, that it would be nice if they, uh, you know, they, they really got out of the gate in good shape, as you indicated, they flattened off uh, a bit in the middle mm-hmm. and, and yeah. now they're, now they're really struggling a little bit. So it'd be nice to see them this last well, week. Uh, come back and, you know, and uh, perform well going into the off season. Don, from my from my eyes, I think they stuck a little bit too long with uh, guys like um, Wojciechowski and and Malone and uh, LeBlanc and some of their starting pitching that at the time were, you know, meant to be innings eaters and essentially get them through the year so their minor league guys could develop. And I think once they flipped the switch and said, you know what, those guys aren't going to do it for us. Let's just let these guys pitch. And what you see from Dean Kramer, what you see from John Means, what you see from Keegan Aiken is, you know what? These guys can be successful at this level. So why in the hell don't we just let them pitch? 
guess what? They right. still have Grayson Rodriguez, D.L. Hall, and a couple other guys, uh, Hunter Harvey, these kind of guys uh, that can step forward hopefully next year and be a portion of their rotation. They've got four or five guys deep uh, that can compile a major league rotation that can go out there. And you know what? If they lose, well, hell, they weren't supposed to win. Right, so right. let's continue their development at that major league level and let them pitch um, in, in meaningful uh, situations, uh, leverage situations, as they say, and, and let's see what they can do and let's move forward with this development. You know what I mean? What the hell are we keeping them under wraps for? Let them pitch. Yeah, too many teams Roger. take that. Uh, I, I agree with you, Doug. There's too many teams to take that approach. Oh, we've got to mm-hmm. develop them, take them time, step-by-step, baby them, cuddle, cuddle them. Throw them in well, there. let them let them you know, get the experience. Ironically, Roger, to your point, I mean, one of the, uh, the 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 Ben McDonald experience, if you will, when the Orioles had that first overall draft pick and they picked Ben McDonald and he was the greatest thing since sliced bread to come out, and they let him pitch and didn't really let him go through the minor leagues and they kind of rushed him to that major league level, and then they stepped back and he didn't develop and he, you know what I mean? It was. I wouldn't say he was a bust, but it just didn't work out the way they should have for that guy, you know, having that kind of talent. And they've always been apprehensive after that to say, you know what, we're just going to let these guys, you know, just kind of do their thing at the minor league level. And, and, and then, you know what I mean? They, they wait too long and then all of a sudden they become right. nothing. So it's true. Yeah. Yep. You know, I was thinking about some of the old Oreo broadcasters that uh, we used to see. <laughs> John Lowenstein, the old ball player. Mm-hmm. Yep. I don't know. Is, uh, you ever see him in the uh, in the area anymore? No, I see. Um, gosh, who did I see the other day? So obviously, I see BJ Serhoff a lot. Um, I see Rick Dempsey every now and again. Um, Serhoff brings his buddies in once a year. I got uh, Scott Bankhead. If you want to look that name up, I believe he went to North Carolina with BJ. I believe he played on the USA Olympic team and. Uh, 84 with McGuire and some of those guys, um, you know, but, you know, Al Bumbry, um, you know, I, I see some of the old um, uh, Baltimore Colts every now and again. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, the community is still pretty thriving um, in terms of those guys sticking around Dave Johnson, um, you know, so I, I see them at charity events every, you know, now and again. So, yeah, it, it's fun to, to recant with some of those guys, some of the yesteryears for sure. Yeah, he's John Lowenstein, 73. And, yeah. Um, he so, was a great pinch hitter, man. He was a great pinch yeah, hitter. Yeah, he was. <laughs> and yeah, and he like was a Terry very candid uh, analyst, too, on uh, yeah. on TV. Sure. On, um, oh, what what was the um, the cable system then? Um, HT, well, H, what was it? Home Team Sports. Yeah, H-T-S. Home Team Sports. Yeah, yep. Yep. Yeah, now it's massive, it's a, but yeah, home great, team sports. Great announcer. Yeah, yeah, you you were really you were really somebody back in the day. If you had a the ability to watch home team sports, man, you you had right. you had some serious money. Yeah, I mean that was it. And Jim yeah, Palmer was about, doing uh, some games. Roger, I'm sorry. We, Go ahead, uh, Frank. We've come to Six the five. end of our hour here, and we're going to be cut off in about uh, three minutes. So, and we have okay. to wrap okay. this up. Well, okay. we'll have to wrap it up then. Frank, another great yeah. job. Roger, a great job. Uh, I, I guess Tommy fell asleep on us or he went to see the, the hockey game. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, 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 still, it's, still three, it's still three to one in the, in the, in the second period. And, uh, so we'll all get together again next week. Roger, I'll talk mm-hmm. to you during the week. Frank, take okay. care. Yep. Yeah.
Okay. Yeah, right, boys. Good night. Everybody, God bless. Frank, thanks so much for everything you do, not only for us, your family, and for the world. Take care, Doug. Thank you very much again. Always, always a pleasure with you, Doug. Take care. Ladies and gentlemen, these programs are brought to you each and every night of the week in grateful appreciation. The men and women of the United States Armed Forces and the men and women of police and fire services. When you're out there and you see somebody in uniform, please make sure you let them know you know they're there. These are very, very tough times for men and women in uniform. <laughs> these programs are dedicated to those who have lost their lives in the line of duty. Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman David Curtis, Patrolman Jeffrey Colgap, Sergeant Thomas Batinger, Patrolman Jeffrey Yazowitz, Detective Randy Bell, Detective Ricky Childers, San Diego Officer Mike Hendler, Lieutenant Mike Zerba, Newcastle County Police, Patrolman Arnolfo Crispin, Lakeland PD, Chief Al Hogel, Long Key Police Department, Chief Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department, Highway Patrolman Alonzo Moses, Philadelphia Highway Patrol, Highway Patrol Brian Lazaro, Philadelphia Highway Patrol, Highway Patrolman Brian Murphy, Plymouth Township, PA Highway Patrol, Lieutenant Bob Neary, Philadelphia Fire Department, Sergeant Mike Wilson, Charlotte County Sheriff's Department, Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department. Deputy Jonathan Scott Pine, Orange County Sheriff's Department. Patrolman Robert Germain, Windermere, Florida Police Department. Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol. Lieutenant Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department. Patrolman Charlie Condit, Carpenter Springs Police Department. Hillsborough County Deputy Sheriff Charlie Kotloff. Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Police Department. Sergeant Rodney Bond, Delaware State Police. Captain Chris Leach, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Jerry Ficus, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Arthur Hope, Wilmington Fire Department. FDLE Special Inspector Vinny Galaccio. Delaware State Trooper Corporal Stephen Boward. Kissimmee Police Officer Matt Baxter. Kissimmee Sergeant Sam Howard. Captain Matt Letourneau, Philadelphia Fire Department. Deputy Bill Gentry, Island County Sheriff's Department. Deputy Clay Zerber, Clay County Sheriff's Department. Deputy Natalie Corona, L.A. County Sheriff's Department. Deputy April Rodriguez, Pasco County Sheriff's Department. Officer Bob McKetchen, Biloxi, Kentucky Police Department, Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol. My brothers and sisters, so that you may be 10-7 at this point in time, and sometime will be 10-10 at the table of the Lord. Until that time, may the roads rise up to meet you. May the winds be always at your back. May the rains fall softly on your fields and the sun shine lightly on your face. Until we meet again, may the good Lord keep you and your families always in the hallow of his hands. Good night and God bless. Shem Alek Mahilama Shem Ahezahilma Sona Shen Voratfet Hakuig again Mahilma Thank you.